Justice.com radio show for a minute there. I forgot uh, what our show was. But uh, I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. And um, it's my pleasure to introduce my team, my friends, my ministry partners. Um, and I'm really excited because I get to have two of you guys here. It's been the last few weeks, it's just been like you and me, Jacob, with another person virtually here, not huh. really here. So yeah. th- that, that's been hard for me because I like seeing people, seeing yeah. faces, seeing their facial expressions. But Not just uh, imagine them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, but, yeah, that's a segue to uh, the topic for tonight, imagination, right? But uh, before we get to our topic, though, I, I want to welcome – I feel like we haven't had you in the show for a while, Lenny, only because Jacob and I had, have been uh, holding the fort for the last how many shows? Four now, like weeks four? now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so – how are you doing, Lenny? Good. Nice yeah. to be here again. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I, you had to miss. I think last I, I, month. I did. I had to miss last month. That's that was right. the other reason. Yeah. So I was up in the up in the redwoods. And it, it was, was a good we, reason. Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about beauty, that's uh, that's a, a, an amazing place to go. So it was it was good to you know we were retreating and um, I got to do a little bit of writing. Matter of fact, I did even a blog post on it, talking more about truth, goodness, and beauty, and uh, emphasizing the aspect of beauty as uh, part of what we as Christians and as apologists need to bring to the fore in terms of uh, our witness to the gospel, because uh, the beauty is something that the you know people know that the world needs. They're des- in desperate need of it. They just don't know how to find it or what it is. So I always say that Redwoods is where uh, transcendence and imminence meet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, and it's amazing. I mean, you know, and you have trees that have been alive since, since the time of Christ, too. So it's like just wow. Right, right. So we'll be focusing tonight on uh, the, the third or the last of that, the uh, beauty, tr- goodness and beauty. Typically that's the last that's mentioned, right? Truth, yeah. goodness, and beauty. Uh, how about you, Jacob? How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Harry. Good to be here again, and I can do this almost every day. You know <laughs> that. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, and you're a night person, so that uh-huh. works for you. I enjoy um, it very much, yes. Yeah. And by the way, uh, mention you guys' as respective ministries. I know Come Reason. Come Reason. Dot, org. Dot yeah. org, right? Yeah. Um, we're uh, trudging along. We're going to uh, get ready to do a, a conference next March in Corona, which will be fun. We'll do a whole apologetics conference mm-hmm. a couple of days. We're just coming into the planning stages on that. So, uh, and Is it going to be a one-day conference? Uh, Friday night, Saturday. Okay. So it'll be a two-day. Yeah. Great, great. And uh, I'll get more information as we solidify things. But uh, yeah. that's doing well. And I'll be in New Orleans speaking at the Defend Conference in first week of January and just traveling around and writing and all of that stuff. So, yeah, Writing as in trying to finish your book? Trying to finish my book, which I bet we will talk about tonight. Okay. Yeah. That's right. So, Imagination. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love it. Working on that as well, yes. Jacob, how's Heritage Council? Going well, Go yeah. Just uh, getting busy day by day and just I'm looking forward to a youth panel that I'll be part of. I'm oh. going to talk about the beauty of gender. Mm, uh, which is right. just in a couple of weeks, and then getting ready for a youth conference uh, in Florida. Okay. And uh, along with another uh, conference in Florida, uh, speaking to youth leaders on issues like race, identity, and gender again. Uh, that's great. So How it's going to be a busy season, yeah. 
I'm going to be living vicariously through your uh, ministry journeys there, ministry adventures. That's cool. All right. So I don't know if you guys appreciated uh, kind of like the Facebook post. I, I changed it up a bit. It's really colorful and bright. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> uh, the title of our show tonight is Imagination. The subtext is The Bridge Between Perception and Reason. And our hope for this evening is that um, we're able to explain and expand on this idea and, and how it works with our faith, especially the defense of the faith. After all, we do a lot of apologetics here on uh, the Apologetics.com radio show. So uh, it, we would be remiss if uh, after an hour it's more confusing than uh, – <laughs> Then we started, right? So let's just get into it. Now, if you've been following the last few shows, we've been uh, talking about Paul Gold's book, Cultural Apologetics, which we highly recommend. And um, I'm, a, I, I'm a champion of it. In fact, I think uh, a lot of what Dr. Gold says is really how we ought to be doing evangelism today. So if apologetics might be a foreign word to you or it's just a subject or discipline you're not familiar with, but maybe evangelism you are, uh, just replace, substitute that word. And, and, and uh, my contention is that evangelism today is um, done through a lot of what Dr. Uh, Gold is saying in his book. So uh, the past few weeks we've been talking about the idea of enchantment and how the world has become disenchanted and then um in our last show not not last week but the last time that lenny was here um we talked about how we can re-enchant uh the world and and so this is just following along that um kind of that line of thinking now wow so chapter four is imagination which is a great addition to uh, re-enchantment because Dr. Gold is saying this is definitely one way that we can help re-enchant the world. Um, so if you're wondering about um, what we mean by that, you can definitely look at our past shows on that. So let's get into imagination. Um, let's talk about imagination. A lot of it has also to do with beauty, so we'll be talking about that. We're going to be talking about art. But I, I want to open up and get you guys' reaction to this. So uh, in um, on page, or on uh, I think page 10, or 98. 107, there you go, 107. So. Dr. Gold says, imagination, no wait, I'm defining, we're not, we're, we're not there yet. All right, on page 109, he says this, as cultural apologists, our task is to demonstrate that the best explanation for why we make architecture and jokes, sculptures and gardens, stories and mythical creatures is because we bear the image of God, who is the master creator, comedian, and storyteller. When you hear that or, or read that, what comes to mind? Do you guys agree with him or not? And what would... What would maybe the naysayers say to this? 
Well, I would say, first of all, there's a, a huge history of how imagination has been used throughout human existence in order to teach, um, you know, deep truths. If you think about Homer, if you think about uh, really all of the Greek myths, uh, the, the entire um, panoply of gods in Olympus, that obviously comes out of imagination. Nobody actually saw Zeus, nobody, right? And, and those stories developed. But, but Homer, his stories became basically the textbook for every ancient Greek child to learn what morality was, what your civics duties were. Um, you learned Homer. Now, people would interpret it differently, just the way people interpret sources today to emphasize this or to emphasize that. But everybody understood Homer was the way that we transfer our collective understanding of our identity and our beliefs to future generations. Also, because most of humanity throughout most of its existence was primarily illiterate, it's only fairly recently that we had a literate society as the norm. Um, you had to use repetition. You had to use stories with visual, you know, uh, at least uh, casting visual language in order to get the point across. And we see this in the parables is exactly what Jesus does. He compares spreading the message of the kingdom of God to a man who goes out to sow seed, right? And he says, and there's four types. Now, everybody understands this in agrarian society. So they, they can see in their heads what he's talking about, even though it's a metaphor. And so through imagination, and, and if imagination is creative enough, it can be more powerful and, and make the message more clear. It can also make the message more memorable. So I, I think in that sense... Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, even in our services today, so we're at you know Friday night, Saturday morning, and I would ask any of our audience or, or even you guys, do you remember two or three sentences that your pastor said from the Sunday service? Okay, but how many of the lyrics of the songs that we sang before the message do you remember? Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. Why is it that we remember the music? And the, and the theology that's taught in the worship tunes so much more than the sermon itself. Yeah. So I think that's a good way of understanding it. Uh, I completely agree. Um, the way uh, we engage in imagination as a reflection of the fact that we are made in the image of God. And this is not, not for a Christian, it's nothing um, uh, new in many sense. I mean, this is seen pre-fall the way God created us and gave us the charge to uh, tend and to keep the garden. And not name just all that, the animals. Name yeah. all the animals, to use the imagination. <laughs> I wonder what was going on in the, in the mind of Adam when he did that. So, uh, and engage in science, you know, uh, uh, and uh, taking care of family, taking care of uh, the means to provide and things like that. It's pre-fall. And I don't think anything has changed since then except the fact that it has um, had uh, the consequences of sin upon it. But at the same time, uh, what we, how we see uh, culture, how we see imagination Im- I- imposed upon it uh, uh, gives us the, the, the credence to basically redeem 
all for the glory of God. And that needs to be happen. Uh, and I think it was Malcolm Guide who said, imagination creates uh, a shape that our minds grow into. Uh, and that's that's beautiful. That's something God has given us as a gift that we may each day grow into what mm-hmm. he wants us to be. Yeah, I remember. I, well, I just now uh, remember that uh, a few years ago, I actually had a, an opportunity to visit Macau. So it's a, it's a Chinese territory. Um, it's a small island that's close to Hong Kong. But uh, they, they have some uh, – they have a lot of Catholic history there and uh, – some of the churches that still stand today, uh, they're, they're um, relics of the past, and uh, they're tourist, more like tourist attractions. But like uh, a few churches that I remember visiting, like St. Dominic's Church or even uh, the ruins uh, at St. Paul. When you look, and it's, it's a little bit unique because when it was erected in the 1500s, there weren't a lot of... Um, people that understood Latin or or, or the, the language of Scripture at the time. And remember, this is Macau. So on the face of the building, they actually had art hmm. and pictures of the gospel, like, you know, the garden, uh, Adam and Eve, crucifixion, the resurrection. Right. They had it, it was just pictures, and that it's amazing. And, and that's how they... It, it was like a, a, a huge track, so to speak. Um, and I think one of the things I, I really kind of re- reminisce is that uh, if, say, 100 years ago, or even maybe f- five or six decades ago, uh, we knew about most of the world through stories, right? Not everyone had the privilege to actually travel to another culture, another country, or other people group. We always uh, learned about them and grew into our knowledge through imagination, imagining of those places and all. And that's, there was something beautiful about that. Yeah. With more access to information today, I think we are somehow losing that gift of being able to imagine rather than what's happening is that we are so engrossed within just one or two things in our life that, uh, that occupies all of our uh, uh, thought and idea and even our body into it that doesn't give us the freedom to actually imagine and as I mentioned earlier that create that shape into which our minds would grow well yeah yeah, um, so Fred Sanders gave a talk several years ago at uh, a theological conference and he talked about uh, iconography within the church now especially dominant in Eastern Orthodox faith uh, some little less in Roman Catholicism, but almost non-existent within Protestantism. And he said that we're a little bit poorer for it because what iconography did was it helped, first of all, as you said, allow people, especially illiterate people, to learn the content of our belief system. It's not, they're not Scripture, they're visual representations of the ideas that Scripture holds. So it's not simply telling the story. It's a um, reinforcement or a communication of of the meaning behind the stories. But also it acts, and if you think about this, if you look at the opinion section of the paper, this is what happened, right? You have the cartoon, the opinion card, the Frank Ramirez or whomever's drawing the the political cartoon of the day. And that seems to be, even though it uses far fewer words, much more poignant, much more powerful, right? The The... the, the op-ed cartoon. And um, we see how it can develop in ways that we've, we've 
not seen before. That does come from sitting and reflecting. Now, what's interesting is someone has recently said that every time you hand a child a phone, you're robbing the world hmm. of, and you're robbing that child of his boredom. Hmm. And he said, and that's a bad thing because for every bored child, that means they won't pick up an instrument. They won't pick up a paintbrush, right? They won't try to write a book. They just, we just want to be entertained. It's passive. And and our screens make us passive observers as opposed to imaginative actors yeah. in society. So I think we can, you know, technology can be a tool and it can be a benefit, but more often than not, it can be a hindrance hmm. to developing things like that because imagination requires quiet, requires solitude, requires nothing to distract us. And for one thing I know, especially talking to the new generation, all they want is distraction. The worst thing they think they could ever experience is boredom. Yeah, and there's this side to it as well, right, connected to what you're saying, uh, Lenny. We are always catechized by imagination. Yeah. And the question is, is it whose imagination it is? Right. <laughs> right? Um, and whether that imagination is sanctified, is it baptized you know, um, through fire, as a, as we would say, in terms of its purity, its goodness, and its truth that it, it founds as, as a foundation to it. And that's an important question to ask, especially in apologetics. And that, therefore, I would say it is even vital when it comes to evangelism, when we bring the truth of the gospel to someone. Yeah. Um, do we do it in a manner that it is, uh, that people are at awe? Uh, we always quote this, right? First Peter three fifteen, like always, be prepared to give an answer for the right. hope that's in you, right? Are people able to see that hope that that ignites in them that those questions that they want to come and ask, right? right. That and where do we get that hope from? Yeah, you know? and, and no, that, that's good. I'm trying to trace maybe, uh, and maybe we'll cover this later. How uh, because of a lack of imagination, things have become stale. Like we forget that that First Peter three fifteen, that hope. What is that hope? Yeah. It's become more like a, a pie in the sky by and by. But no, we're talking about something substantial, greater, substantial, yes. greater. But because we've lost that faculty, yeah. hope is becomes meaningless. Well, now. and that, and we tend to do that with with everything. One of the reasons why I, I first got into all of this was to say, you know, I've seen so many Christians, and I was guilty of it myself, where you would read a story in the in the scriptures, and you would almost read it like it was a fairy tale, So, you, but you, it was very surface. So, so oh, oh, Lord, Peter says, if it's you, you know, call me out of the boat, and I can come walk to you. And Jesus says, come, and Peter steps out of the boat. And we just read that. We go on, okay, that's a great idea of faith. But wait a minute now. 33-year-old man who spent his life on the water, he's putting his feet over the side of that thing. What's going through his mind? Yeah. I mean, I mean, now put yourself in there where you're, you know, right? Have you ever gone even up on the observation deck of a of a platform? I was up at the CN Tower in in Toronto, which was one of the highest towers. They've got a plexiglass portion of the mm. floor. That you walk over. Now, you know you're not going to fall, but still, it so, freaks you out, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're actually yeah. doing it. The creators were imaginative yeah. by that, for sure. And, and, yeah. th- and think about this, uh, spending so much of time on the ocean, he might have jumped out of that yeah, boat he's millions of times, like. right? He, and still exactly. he's drowning. Right? How is he drowning in, in the water that he's so much used to it? Right? So, so, so to say, 
you know, I'm actually going to do this. And yeah. he starts to do it. Now, we all we all jumped to the, oh, Peter, you shouldn't have looked away, right? You started to sink. Hey, the, he got out of the boat, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's, Give I him mean, a break. But, but yeah. we don't even think. Again, you have to take it that next step. Put yourself in there. Really imagine it. Really mm-hmm. picture it. And, mm-hmm. and it, you learn so much more about that's faith. That yeah. really is. So. Now, we're talking about imagination, and I, I know that's not an easy thing to grasp or even define, but I, I love uh, even uh, Dr. Gold's struggle when, when he's writing this. You could tell. you know, He says uh, pretty much a lot of philosophers, a lot of experts know what it's not, right? Uh, and, and sometimes that's a good place to start. We know the, th- the thing that's not. Uh, he says, it's not our memory or perception or beliefs, yet it is similar in some ways to our memory, perception, and belief. So there's that tension, but um, I love what he, how he puts it all together later, and maybe we can cover some of that. But all that to say, uh, imagination is... Uh, what you, what you said, Jacob, sometimes we don't n- know what it is, but if we see it, we know it. Yeah, I think it, it's against the logic to limit a universal idea within time and space. That's why we find it so difficult to define terms like uh, love right. and justice and dignity. Mm-hmm. How can we actually limit that into a box, into one yeah. definition? It is, it, it is a, it's not an empty idea, but too rich to be put into precise definition. Right. And that's why it, it needs to be held if, if, as something valuable. And I would say imagination is one of those universal ideas that regardless of where you go, in whatever culture you go, you find people with imagination and they work with it, yeah, right? right? What, what matters is that how do we direct that imagination to its telos, to its ultimate purpose? Uh, and as Christian, I would say uh, as something that worships God and glorifies God uh, or as an object that helps us or aids us in worshiping God. Well, it is an aspect. It is an aspect of the nature of God, right? It, it is part of the Imago Dei. Animals don't imagine. A dog doesn't say, I wonder what it's like for me to, if I were a cat. I mean, it, it, they can't, they can't do that. It's right. so it's, so it's, you have to have a reasoning faculty in order to have an imaginative because it, it draws upon your reason to say, how would this work? Yeah. Uh, and it may be, it may be you're imagining something that right. Thomas Edison could imagine what it, what it would it look like for for us to have a non a candle that never burns out, an electric light bulb. Yeah. Well, what would it look like for us to put a man on the moon? Yeah. Or it may be, what would it be with a horse with wings? Something that would never exist. So imagination plays in both sides of of this. Or, or you can go uh, the the way of John Lennon. Imagine there is. No yeah. such such and such yeah. thing is yeah, no the, heaven, the right? Depressing side. Of, it's still imagination, right? Yeah, it exactly. is still imagination. It, and we can say even that is useful because it is a reductio, right? Know? Yeah. So you, you plumb the the boundaries of these things, but it's it's the imagination that does that. Actually, that's why I, I do love the. Uh, and then it, imagination leads culture. To a place, sure. And as people, we should be asking: Are our, our imaginations bringing us to a place of flourishing or to a place of deprivation? Yeah, yeah. and and that's why I do love uh, the subtext of our title. You know, it's the bridge between perception and reason. So it, it's it's hard to really quantify or define, but um, uh, and, and we'll we'll try to define it even uh, more tightly. But it, suffice it to say, it, it's one of those difficult things. Like you said, Jacob, it's like how do you define love? 
virtue, courage, those kinds of things. Um, but let, let's get into, with, with the time we have left before the break, how do you think really quickly, how, uh, how has the world now developed sort of this cringe uh, art that we find ourselves, you know, that we find appreciating nowadays uh, that could be Christians or non-Christians. But certainly uh, art has become subjective. Our longings have become subjective. Trace the history a little bit behind that. Why have we lost imagination, so to speak, you know? Well, I, I, I don't know that we've lost imagination per se. We've lost the... Um, the the fru- fru- fruition of imagination, where imagination should be, just like uh, so. You mentioned art. Art used to be the idea of art primarily was to help us understand our humanity and to provide a goal or a point for which we can develop our humanity more fully, to become closer to God, to develop our virtue. Now art is just there to shock. Modern art isn't about developing virtue or, or highlighting the best aspects of humanity. It's, it's about how can I make people re- react? So, you know, I'll see a crucifix in urine or something like that. I'll hang a, a, a latrine on mm-hmm. a wall and call it art. And it's just shock value. It has nothing to do with the human spirit and, and building up humanity. And, and that's just a poverty of imagination because what you're trying to do is you've, you've misunderstood the nature of art and you've misunderstood how you, you're, you've forgotten that imagination like art can serve us to flourish human existence as opposed to just react to the worlds around us. Uh, and I think the, the, the telos of any uh, telos of beauty in its true sense is awe. If it is not bringing that awe or, mm. or the very you know awesomeness mm-hmm. yeah. of beauty, I think it is not fulfilling the task that it is meant to. It does have purpose and everything. But what has happened is that I think, uh, as you said, the poverty of imagination – the the reason for that is because we have lost the very foundation of it. Right. We understood art and beauty to have the foundation of truth. When truth has lost its objectivity, so has beauty. Yes. Right. That's why we we talk about the the beauty in the eye of the eye of the beholder. It's relativistic. It's it's expressive individualism that has taken yeah. over uh, the truth of the fact that beauty must stand on its own ground. All right. We are going to be coming up on a break. We will continue our discussion after a word from our sponsors. The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. 
Hi, ladies. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. I'd like to invite you to pause and take a deep breath. As you do, reflect on the last year. What has God done in your life since last March? Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. It can be easy to forget what God is doing in the midst of your pressing circumstances. That's one of the reasons why reflecting on God's Word is so important. It helps us slow down and remember that God is faithful in every season. Ladies, remember, it's not she that reads most, but she that meditates most on divine truth. Only this will produce the choicest, wisest, and strongest woman of God. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. This is John MacArthur with more Portraits of Grace. For centuries, Israel has eagerly awaited the promised Messiah. Yet in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah already came. But since he didn't fit Israel's blueprint of a reigning political Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression, the nation rejected him, tossing him aside like a worthless rock. Christ, this rejected cornerstone, however, is precious to believers, but remains a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to unbelievers. People trip over a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense is large enough to crush a person. The point is clear. Rejecting Christ brings spiritual devastation of enormous proportions. Let such a frightening reality motivate you to take every opportunity to evangelize the lost. This is John MacArthur praying you're continuing to be portraits of grace. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Good evening and welcome back again to the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Tonight's topic is on imagination, the bridge between perception and reason. So if you've been uh, listening, if you were listening the first half hour, we were just trying to uh, grasp the whole idea of imagination and uh, the practical ways in which that kind of manifests itself in our you know, daily lives. And uh, w- we all agree that um, it's hard to define, and yet uh, you, we have no doubt uh, we can identify it when we see it. But uh, I-, I wanted to touch a little bit on, because a lot of our discussion has to do with beauty and art, and, um, and a lot of those things are a result of imagination. Now, our imagination definitely can be corrupt. It could... Um, decline in in value and quality and uh, it seems like there was a period in human history where things got a little weird i'm just going to say right got strange uh, where we started believing things um or, or or having beliefs that are not grounded in reality um and uh, the the truth value of, of anything became became inward like we would determine um what is true, what is right, uh, and, and and that translated to our perception of things, and that translated into art, that translated into our imagination. Could you guys do briefly what happened during, you know, like a few hundred years ago when 
when at least Paul Gold points to the Enlightenment when things became uh, n- not so righteous anymore, right? What what happened there when when he talks about subjectivism and uh, the, especially the church? We uh, became captive to pragmatism. We definitely became anti-intellectual. And uh, a good term, if you haven't uh, heard it, is uh, philistinism. Philistinism. What, yeah. That, Philist- that, that, that what's that about? Arose in art. Well, obviously, it starts really with the skeptics, the rise of the skeptics, the philosophical skeptics, uh, who were saying, you know, what can I believe? Can I trust my own eyes? How do I know that it's not an evil demon sending me the signals? And right, Descartes argues that, you know, he can't trust anything. um, What he can't know, I should say. It's not that he can't trust, he can't know anything. And then he, except that he he knows that he doubts. You can't doubt that you doubt, because so that there he comes out with a kagito, right? I think therefore I am. And he, then he tries to make a sly move from that to the existence of God. And then if God exists, then I can start believing in things again. Um, some of the other skeptics pick up on this and say, "Yeah, you can't do that." You get David Hume and these guys, and they start saying there's you know there's no way um the response is the rationalists and so you have guys like emmanuel kant who say well we know that reason works right you can't doubt that you doubt Mm -hmm. so reason is the thing that we can trust and that's about the only thing that we have that's solid but when guys like kant put the ultimate trust in reason above all else then what they actually did was they moved trust away from God into themselves. And I think that's that's the beginning of this slide because now we become, in our reasoning, it's not reason itself, it's our reasoning, not God's reasoning. That becomes the, the uh, yardstick for what counts and what doesn't. And if there's a disagreement on things like beauty, people start to say things like, well, then beauty is, isn't objective. There's no reasoning behind beauty, right? You can't say this is beautiful because then they've tried Fibonacci sequences or, or you know, symmetries and things like that. They try, well, how, what makes this beautiful and that not? Um, those kinds of things, you know, you can't reduce beauty to just reasons. And so that's why they, they bristled against it. Um, my response is we know that beauty is objective, we know go out at the Grand Canyon and watch a sunset. Hmm. There's not a person living or who has ever lived who would say that's an ugly sunset. I mean, you just don't you don't you don't mm-hmm. you you may say I'm not in the mood to appreciate the sunset, but there's no way that you say that that's an ugly. It is objectively beautiful. A mother cradling her newborn child for the very first time is an objectively beautiful thing. Now, the mother may be ugly. The baby may be ugly, <laughs> yeah, right? But that scene is beautiful because there's a telos to it. There's, yeah. It's the way things should be, and it shows and reflects humanity in its, in its best state. Yeah. And yes, you can't just reason through it. It, it is beauty. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if uh, this could be imagined, but let's see. If God is good and God is truth, and God, whatever God creates is beautiful. Right. Right? I mean, it, it, he would create that which is beautiful. 
Yes. Right? It, it may be marred because of our sin. Sure. Uh, and the creation is groaning, as we know. But at the same time, that which he has created is good. It is beautiful. And I think we as creatures made in his image have the responsibility to pursue that goodness, truth, and beauty. I, well, I, it just like, so let's take goodness. We say morality, you know, the, the question, right, the... the um Epicurean dilemma, hmm. you know, or, you know, is, is God, um, yeah. is, is goodness something that God must adhere to, right? Oh, Euthyphro yeah. problem. Or is, does God just arbitrarily say what is good? And we say neither one of those. Goodness is nature. God's yeah. nature. Yeah. Well, beauty is also God's nature. Yeah. And I think there's one thing we are even losing in our culture today. When we talk about beauty is that uh, from from early on, uh, if we see, uh, there is a possibility of unity within diversity. So when we talk about Beauty. Beauty is the quintessence that we find mm. in the midst of diversity. And I think that's one thing we are missing in all aspects of our life. Wherever we find diversity, we are missing that aspect of unity or finding that quintessence, that beauty that it can bring about regardless of diversity. Yeah. I think that's possible only, and I would push it even more to the fact that we serve a triune God, a God who is triune, but at the same time there is this essence of God or, or togetherness there's beauty within the community of trinity yeah exactly yeah i was going to mention there was a period actually uh not too uh, long ago where um it it really affected a lot of architecture or interior design of churches remember how uh pragmatism uh was the Mm. supreme value and uh somehow the more austere uh the interior was the holier it was or something um but we certainly don't see that that's the model in um in in christ's economy in jesus's economy no. in god's economy right um in fact uh we know just historically speaking the cathedrals were the center of arts and beauty it was actually the center of the community where uh Things were flourishing and came alive, and uh, but like like I said, there was a period in in the not so distant past where churches were uh, okay establishing in strip malls, industrial and, and, structures, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> industrial structures. Now I, I'm seeing a reverse of that where, um, you know, the stained glass uh, images are back and and nice lighting and all of that. So. I guess maybe some of the practical, and, and we'll deal more with this later, but since you guys mentioned churches, you know, it's nice to see that uh, there's sort of a revival of, of, of that. So maybe maybe the lesson for us is let's withhold judgment when we see extravagance. Uh, we, we may perceive it as, as extravagance when we look at their setup, you know, mm. great music, great lighting, and those are good things. And also, I think we need to be careful. Uh, I'm not completely against minimalism, but there is also the sin of minimalism as well, yeah. where we minimalize things so much that it loses uh, the value to it or, or, or goodness that could be seen if it is compounded, if it is you know just connected with other things, yeah. uh, all aspects of our lives. So so I think uh, if, if we go either extreme, you know, if we are – True, truly, like minimalistic to the point that we are losing 
the goodness in something, you know, or or we are becoming becoming so extravagant that it's still, um, and we can even do that. We can lose beauty by doing that as well. Sure. So there's a good balance yeah. of keeping uh, things together in such a way that our hearts are drawn towards it. Yeah. So does God care about beauty? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at his creation. I mean, look at look at look at the ways he paints the macaw. Or tropical fish, or you know, he, many times we find some of these aspects, some of these colors, don't necessarily serve a functional purpose. They're they're, they're just aesthetically astounding, and well, I think yeah. God just enjoys it. He just enjoys it, right? There's no reason why um, we need to see the spectacularness of a sunset, or or this, you know, other than it's just. There, I mean, if it was all grays, it would serve us just as well. But there's there's a reason why we can we can appreciate that, and and we have that reaction naturally because we resonate, I think, with God's delight hmm. in his in his uh, creation, and we are called to worship Him in the beauty of His yes. holiness, mm-hmm. right? And I love that yeah. His holiness is described in terms of the beauty of it. Right. And and the angels worship, but that's the picture we get. Oh, day and night, right. holy, 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 God Almighty. So, going back to my example of the mother and her child, we see that as beautiful, and we appreciate it. We understand that that relationship is the relationship we share with God, and that beauty is reflected in uh, the elegance of a, a mathematical proof. Sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Physicists and others will talk about a formula that's it's elegant, it's beautiful, and they have no other adjective to describe it. But that is, yeah, equals mc squared. It's just, it's just elegant. It's, it's, it's talking about how you move from matter to energy and convert those things. But it's it by its simplicity, it's it's sublime. Hmm. You know, Roger Scruton in his book Beauty, a, a very short introduction, talks about even cathedrals and the gothic architecture where he said the point of the architecture was to have a reaction so that when the person walks in they will hush and they will look up and they will understand that there's something bigger than themselves hmm. there's a there's a vastness up there in those columns and cathedrals that makes you feel small in comparison yeah. and 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 reverent and the Gothic cathedrals do that. I mean, they were successful. And Lenny, in my travel uh, around the world, wherever I've been, and I think I might have mentioned this uh, in our earlier shows as well, that you go, wherever you go, uh, you find places of beauty, like on a hill or a mountain or, or, or rushing water, mm-hmm. you know, just, you'd always find people building temples to yeah. worship some kind of God. There yeah. is something, right, That's about beauty attracting people to worship um, and I always say beauty, that which is beautiful, conforms to order. And order denotes that which conforms to reality. Right? So it's that, conforms, it's that yeah. Gould yeah. passage, the, the, the reason and perception. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. exactly that. And so, so in everything that we do, it, and it's not just only with what we are creating uh, materially, also how we are creating our family, mm. uh, raising Absolutely. up our children, how – uh, it, we we always emphasize on the truth and goodness, but there's a need for us to emphasize the beauty of what we are creating yeah. as a family together. I, I wanted to highlight real briefly uh, Gold's um, 
observations on Exodus 31. So we have the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and one of the first things God asks them to commands them to do is to build a tabernacle. And I like how Gold points out three uh, observations. One is. Uh, apparently, there had been a community of artists mm-hmm. already in Israel. Um, and, and so imagine that. They've been enslaved, and yet it, it appears arts and beauty was still a high value because when God calls the artists to build the tabernacle, they were there already, right. coming out of slavery, coming out of bondage. Uh, the other uh, observation is that um, God calls them by names. Uh, so... They're known, and um, and it's actually the first time that the the mention of God's Spirit was upon them. I thought that was interesting. So, yeah. uh, if, if there's any doubt uh, about the importance of art uh, in, in, in God's economy, this puts it to rest, you know. And then, um, and obviously, God commanded them to make things like the tabernacle, yeah, uh, and. Uh, be- because of just the detail that went in there and, and some of the materials that went in there, uh, Gold mentions that somehow it probably reminded them of the Garden of Eden, which was culturally kind of like their home, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, it, it's amazing how art and beauty and imagination does that to us. And I believe when God is asking Adam to propagate and, and to subdue and to have dominion over he is expecting that adam would actually translate or what he's seeing in the garden into the rest of the wilderness of the world that he is seeing and that's the charge we still have to continue that's uh, right. with the time that god has given us to restore all things so yeah. what, what's interesting about this too is that what it also does is it becomes an attraction for those who are not part of mm. the faith right so if you're hearing about the the amazing mysteries of the tabernacle and seeing this thing, you may be intrigued and, and want to understand more. Solomon's temple becomes yeah. even more of an attraction for those who are not of the children of Israel who may need to, and this is part of what God wants to do. With the church, it is the same thing. Matter of fact, it's re- replete throughout the New Testament scriptures. Paul tells us that you should be living your life in such a way that unbelievers find you attractive and they imagine you know what can i be like and that's in the first centuries of the church we see that over and over again it's it's the attractiveness of the christian body that draws non-believers which again helps our apologetic it's kind of why we do that that way this is what he means by saying we we need to incorporate beauty into our apologetic i love what paul gould talks about he says beauty is a divine megaphone to rouse a disenchanted world Mm. (laughs) i think that borrows it from lewis (laughs) uh pain thing and analogy but uh real quick we we want to cover certain things um and time is slipping away here. But uh, ultimately, I, I do love uh, Gould's uh, definition. He says that imagination is a faculty of the mind that mediates between sense and intellect in the human mind and the divine mind for meaning and inventing. So real briefly, let's, let's just break it down a little bit. So number one, it's a faculty of the mind. So it doesn't get second class. It's it's something important. We're not saying that it is a subjective thing. No, it it's it, it's 
part of who we are, and it's a proper faculty of the mind. Uh, so what, what is a faculty? It's a grouping of mental powers or capacities. Uh, that's philosophy 101 right there. And, and what, what is meant by, uh, by it mediating between sense and intellect in the human mind and the divine mind? So it's that bridge, right, if I can imagine. It's that connection that brings intellect and sense. Uh, I think uh, Gould does a, a, a perfect example of his son when he was young, right? He, he mentioned how uh, the son trying to understand the phrase, God working in your heart. And he imagines, because he asks his dad, um, so is God using hammers and chisels on your heart? And, you know, Gold, uh, Paul Gould had to say, no, uh, because God is uh, an invisible person and, you know, he works on the heart in a different way, not like how you see Dad working with hammers and chisels in the physical realm. So that helped Travis uh, make some important connections and right. develop new knowledge by that. Oh, all right, an invisible being working invisibly, all right. You don't need hammers and chisels. But it took imagination first, you know. Um, what about um, the whole meaning and inventing? I, I like what uh, Gold says on that one. So meaning, again, you know, like the Travis uh, example, it, it uh, made him understand the phrase, God working in your heart. But Inventing. I, I, I want to focus on this. This is probably where we get into the practical side of things. How how can we use imagination to invent things? Well, I think we invent things. You know, in in a practical sense, we say, you know, how can I make this do, or how can I get a, a result that I want to get? And uh, so you have to you have to consider it first. You have to. You know, picture something and then try to get there. How do I get a, a guy on the moon? Well, maybe I, you know, I can shoot him there in a gun, right? That's where we first start. Well, okay, well, we've got these rockets that, that we can launch missiles from. Maybe we can launch them out in a rocket. That's more practical than a gun. And, okay, do we shoot him into the moon? Oh, no, maybe we have to loop him around the moon first. And you could, so you start to imagine what could be and then develop it from there for, for, us sharing the gospel, what I think you need to do practically is to imagine what is the message and what hammer and chisel type pictures can you share with someone who doesn't understand the gospel. This is probably our biggest stumbling block in sharing our faith is we don't have the words because we use Christianese and and they're, they don't even know, they don't even understand the point of view. It's like we're from another planet. So what what are the shared experiences that we can find that we would be able to relate with one another? And you have to use your imagination there. You have to start watching and and listening to people talk and seeing what the thing what is it that they value and what in that that they value is actually coming from Christianity. So what in my in my work I've been using film because film is primarily the only the only shared art that we have common in our culture today. Uh, 
and so specifically I'll use the, the superhero genre because there's an idea of justice and there's an idea of selfless response to injustice that's common throughout the superhero genre, right? Nobody wants a, a general Zod who has all the powers of Superman who says – Actually, correctly, we could be gods on this planet. We can rule these people. They're nothing, you know, with all of our powers. Well, he's kind of right. But, you know, Superman says, no, I'm not going to do that. You, you don't want that, right? You don't want a Hancock. You want uh, a Peter Parker who says, you know, with much power comes much responsibility. You want him to be selfless, not selfish. And that's what makes him the hero. And so... You can start using those kinds of ideas to to talk about the ultimate act of selflessness, which is when you are God Almighty and you come down as man mm. and selflessly give yourself up for others. Really, the superhero genre is just a smaller portrait of that. And because it's held in such high regard in our society, it becomes an easy way to bridge that gap. Mm. I, Okay. There's one more side to um, the whole idea of imagination is that uh, imagination helps us to discover that which God has deposited Mm -hmm. and and apply that to our own lives. I I think that is is the reason why as a Christian, I think we can emphasize on the relevance of revelation and reason together. Uh, And when we talk about revelation, we are not talking about inventing something out of our own mind, right. but rather on latching on to that which God has deposited yeah. and applying that to our lives. Thank you, gentlemen. I wanted to end with this story. As I was doing some research for this uh, program, I came across a story. So in 1967, NASA was preparing to send Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee into orbit in preparation for the moon landing. And so they were inside the capsule when a spark from the control panel ignited a fire. Since the capsule was oxygen-rich, the fire consumed the three astronauts within a few moments. The latch to the doors were sealed shut, and rescue would have taken minutes, eliminating any chance of survival. At the Senate hearing, Frank Borman, a United States Air Force colonel and commander of Apollo 8, uh, said the cause when when asked what was the cause of the fire, he simply said, "Failure of imagination." We couldn't imagine a simple test on the pad being the catas- being that catastrophic," said one of the NASA officials. So, could the same kind of failure of imagination lead us to miss out on our task of evangelism, apologetics? our honor and pleasure to disciple the nations. So let's hope and pray not. So uh, we have a few seconds left. Do you guys have any parting words? Um, imagination. It's just, yeah, you, it, it takes, you might have to take some quiet time. You might have to get away from the distractions and really think about it. You have to definitely really listen, but try to find those threads and, and see what people value and see then, you know. Like think, common ground, establish common ground. Common ground. And, and find out what, how those can help you bridge the, the gap 
of the gospel. Jacob, uh, any? Uh, something that I want to emphasize is on that it is important to give direction to our imaginations. Yeah. Because it can lead us to places we don't want to be. Uh, so what needs to happen is that our imagination need to be baptized by the word of God each day that we spend in his presence, that he would sanctify it and bring it, uh, our imaginations and the products or, or the outcome of our imaginations to a place where it honors him and worships him. Okay. Well, you have been listening to apologetics.com radio where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned something of value that'll aid in your faith and draw you closer to God. Thank you to my dear brothers here in ministry, Jacob and Lenny, and to our engineer back there, Emma, who makes everything work smoothly. Good night. Until uh, next time, we'll talk to you later. Good night. Apologetics.com was live and sponsored by Apologetics.com on 99.5 KKLA.